know, a lot has been said about the endlessly negative effects of the COVID-19 lockdown, but it's also producing unexpected bursts of creativity in some of us. I'm referring in particular to a new South African reality TV sensation that's come out of this lockdown. I suppose you could call it an international production, filmed half in Dubai and half in KwaZulu-Natal. By the time you're listening to this, seven episodes will have been released, all on YouTube, and cumulatively, they've garnered over half a million views. Here's a taste of some of the action on this homegrown drama. You said you're not afraid of going to prison because you've been there before. It doesn't scare you. What is your stance now, speaking from um, you being my father to a son? Because I need to understand this. Just in case I don't have the opportunity to speak to you about this. Um, if, what is your stance on the way you've been treated? Just look how my name had been dragged and destroyed by a democratic and justice kind of society that I believe I've fought for. That, dear listeners, is an extract from the new production Zooming with the Zoomers, the real title of a real YouTube series which makes public to us conversations held over video chat between the former president Jacob Zuma and his son Duduzane. The results are pretty bizarre. On this week's podcast, we're bringing in journalist Marianne Tam to help us unpack the perplexing world of Zooming with the Zoomers, fact-checking some of the confounding claims made by the Zoomers, analyzing what it tells us about their undeniably curious family dynamics, and interrogating what on earth the point of this strange production could be. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, the Daily Maverick podcast where we bring you the stories behind the stories. I'm Rebecca Davis. The best way to truly comprehend the weirdness of Zooming with the Zoomers is to go to YouTube and check it out. But for those of you who can't bring yourselves to hand over any more money to the Zoomers through YouTube clicks, let me try and set the scene. The series opens with a webcam view of Duduzane Zuma, who turns 36 years old on the very day that I am voicing these words. Although best known for being the Gupta family's most faithful fixer and political matchmaker, Duduzane is justifiably considered quite the looker in some circles. The last time I saw him in person was in January this year at the ANC's 108th birthday celebrations in Kimberley, where he was greeted at the stadium like an actual rock star. Young women were climbing over each other in order to take selfies with him. Anyway, the opening scene features Duduzane sitting in a modern apartment, which we assume is the 18 million rand Burj Khalifa flat in Dubai, which the leaked Gupta leaks emails showed that the Guptas sorted out for him. Honestly, for 18 million rand, it doesn't look that special. But maybe it has a killer view or an indoor swimming pool made of solid gold off camera. Greetings, greetings, greetings. How are you doing, Mom? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good, doing good. Please excuse the mask. I'll take it off. Uh, the reason I had it on is I didn't want to put it on camera. And it ended up becoming a bandana. <laughs> but let's not, let's not joke about that. These things happen. Dudazane is initially wearing a surgical mask, which he explains by saying he doesn't want to humiliate himself by putting it on wrongly on camera. This is a clear reference to the recent embarrassment suffered by current South African president Cyril Ramaphosa when he fumbled over his mask at the end of a pandemic-themed address to the nation. 
And in response to this very unsubtle Ramaphosa diss, comes a delighted and familiar chuckle from the person Dudazane is revealed to be video chatting with. His father, Jacob Zuma, apparently at home in Nkandla, who is wearing a very lively patterned shirt and who appears, like many of us, to have put on a bit of weight during the lockdown. Dudazane calls his father Sir, and the two of them have this kind of very superficial how are you, I'm fine, you, good, back and forth. Dudazane explains, for our benefit, I assume, that this is the first time that he and his father have ever video chatted. And then, to the accompaniment of poignant piano music, he immediately launches into his recollections of his mother's suicide. Kate Mancho, Jacob Zuma's third wife, took her own life in 2000. And although Dudazane recounts his memories of this awful event in quite a flat and unemotional way, you can't help but feel dreadfully sorry for him and also wonder why the hell he is doing this in public. This is how he wraps up his reflections on his mother's suicide. Bear in mind, he's addressing his father. I'm just giving you this recollection. This is um, something that, you know, till today feels like it was yesterday. Um, it's traumatic, you know, it's, 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 it's a traumatic experience for anyone, I guess. And over time, we all deal with things differently. I've got a, one way of de- dealing with things, others have got a, a different way, but, you know, it's, it's dealt with in, in, in its entirety, but, you know, we keep it in the, in the back of our minds and we miss her um, wherever she is. Um, I'm sure she's resting in, in peace. So I just wanted to, to, to convey that experience from my side, which I've never um, conveyed to you. And my experience with that situation and how it unfolded from then until now. We're cool. We're in a good place. Um, we, we, we've, or I've, let me speak for myself, I've dealt with the tragedy. Um, and that's, that's just all I wanted to relate from, from that loss in, in, in my life. At the risk of sounding callous, WTF. To help answer that non-rhetorical question, I roped in Daily Maverick journalist Marianne Tam who spends most of her days breaking major stories, but who also has a secret unofficial beat, or more of a hobby, really, keeping an eye on the Zuma family's social media activities. And as a result, Marianne was plugged into Zooming with the Zoomers from the get-go. For me, the shock of Zooming with the Zoomers was that Duduzani starts off the series talking about his mother's death. Now, in some weird way, that draws us all in because you, you, you can't but feel awful pain for for the family at the loss of, of their mother. But it's also highly manipulative. You really could go to therapy on your own or you could really phone your dad or go, go do lockdown in Atenkandla and just go at your dad uh, for like 52 days. Sit with him in his room at Atenkandla and tell him everything about your life. I don't have to hear it all. It's too intimate. It's too painful. So for me, the making public of that is highly problematic. Jacob Zuma barely responds to Duduzane's memories of Kate Mancho's suicide, beyond kind of noting it as one of the many tribulations of he and his son's lives. I mean, he's talking to the man who his mother accuses of driving her to suicide. It's that traumatic. And Zuma's response is, yeah, it's hectic when you don't have a mother in a house. It's not good for for the children or a man. What Marianne is referring to there is the fact that Kate Mancho left a suicide note when she died which said some pointedly damning things in it about her husband, Jacob Zuma. Kate specifies that she doesn't want Jacob Zuma or the Zuma family at her funeral. She specifies who she wants there. 
She says to Zuma, her husband, that it's been the worst, I think, 24 years of her life. Absolute hell, she says. She wishes his new wife, Omakoti, well and warns her that it's a very hot seat. So, it, you know, it, it, and asks him to take care of his parental obligations. This suicide note was made public in 2007 when Jacob Zuma was first running for president of the ANC. And it's clear that this has been a real bone of contention for the Zuma family ever since, and perhaps understandably, since no family would want such a personal letter reaching the public domain. But to the extent that the Zumas have since tried to discredit Kate Mancho, to claim that the note was forged, and in the first episode of Zooming with the Zumas, to imply that it was the Zuma's formerly close friend, the Reverend Frank Chikane, who deliberately leaked the note to the media. Reverend Chikane has since denied this in an SABC interview, and in any case, it's also known that the note was part of the police docket investigating Kate Mancho's suicide. For me, Kate Mancho has become this sort of, you know, uh, there's no filling in of who this person was. And she was a very active member of the ANC in her own right, hugely respected in Mozambique. She's not just one of Jacob Zuma's wives, same as Dr. Mkosazada Lamini Zuma. He's a woman in her own right. So for me, that the note would have been very damaging to Zuma in 2000, well, 2000, he was a deputy president, in 2007, when it is made public, because the docket is, the, the media get hold of it. Of course, is is the run-up to his contestation for the presidency of the ANC. So there might be some truth to the fact that, you know, at some point somebody conveniently said, oh, wow, maybe if that letter gets into the public domain, it would cast a light on Zuma in a particular way. But that doesn't take away the veracity of the, of the suicide note or what occurred on that day when Kate Munchie decided she'd rather take her life. I, at that time, uh, contacted my friend in a country that we went to to say I'm sick, because I knew that uh, the, the, the poisoning was not just like a root that was dark and what you call it, and made it to be a poison, yes. but it was actually a very sophisticated kind of poison. When we're back, the curious case of the alleged poison plot against Jacob Zuma. We love making this podcast, and ideally we'd like to keep making it until podcasts are replaced by a new kind of technology. But to do so, we really need your help. We ask you to leave reviews on Apple Podcasts and to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, not simply to boost our egos, though we love that too, but because reviews and ratings make it easier for other people to find us. Thanks again for your support. Zooming with the Zoomers has been credited to a production company called Voltage TV, about which there's almost zero information available online. So it could just be Dudazane and his Mac. But whoever they are, they've made the amateur error of cramming almost all the interesting bits of the series into the first episode, so that we've barely digested the horror of Kate Munchell's suicide before we are plunged into Zuma and Sons, reminiscing about the time someone tried to kill Jacob Zuma by poisoning him. Quick refresher, Zuma has cried poison on multiple occasions, but has claimed that the most serious attempt to poison him happened around 2014, and his major suspect was his own fourth wife, Nompumulelo Ntuli Zuma, better known as Mantuli, who was subsequently banned from Kandla. In 2019, Mantuli begged the National Prosecuting Authority to either charge her for the poison plot or free her from suspicion. 
and the NPA declined to prosecute her because they said, quote, there was no evidence that Mr. Zuma was poisoned. That is not the conclusion of Jacob Zuma. Here he is on Zooming with the Zoomers. My friend, who <clears throat> uh, was a president at that time in his country, would be the only <clears throat> one in the country that will assist me. And that's why I sent a message to him. Uh, he sent doctors, <clears throat> which was very quiet, to see me, who then recommended that indeed I should go to a place where we finally went with you. <laughs> and I knew once I went there, <clears throat> this would be defeated, and it was defeated. And they finally found out, but found out that uh, it was poison. There were three types of different poisons that were <clears throat> were put to me together. It was just one one type. There were actually three very dangerous. The friend that Zuma coyly refers to here is Russian President Vladimir Putin. I'm not sure why he's being so mysterious here, because in episode six of the series, he openly brags about their warm relationship. Presidents in the world. Uh, number of presidents in China, including the current one, uh, Xi Jinping, uh, uh, President Putin, great friend, both grand, great friends of mine. It wasn't just Jacob Zuma who had to be rushed to Russia to be treated for poisoning. A year later, exactly the same thing happened to the current deputy president, David Mabuza, who was assisted in emergency transportation by Duduzane and the Guptas. Though the Guptas aren't mentioned. In fact, to date, the Guptas have never been mentioned by name in Zooming with the Zoomers. Here's Duduzane. So we land in, in Moscow and then immediately from the airport, there's a medical team and we went to, to the hospital. And now I'm thinking to myself, now I'm there for the second time. The first time was with you <laughs> for the exact same reason. And now the second time I'm there with um, the former premier, the current deputy president. And going through the same rigmarole, going through the same processes and, and, and um, procedures of uh, the protocols that come with, with the medical treatment. David Mabuza has been in Russia allegedly for medical treatment on at least two occasions in recent years, which has aroused suspicions relating to the nuclear deal between Russia and South Africa. But as Marianne says, the entire poisoning rigmarole continues to be shrouded in mystery and is raised by Zuma whenever he is trying to make the point that he is a victim of a vast conspiracy against him. What is interesting around these accusations is that Zuma has brought them up at the Zondo Commission. Like he's used the threat of spies, this poisoning thing is sort of, you know, puts him at great jeopardy. There's much more going on behind the scenes than we know. And until we actually have, uh, rather than saying he knows he was poisoned three times and David you know, Mabuza was poisoned, we need blood tests, we need the records from Russia, let's just put it out there. Give, us, give it to us. Tell us what the poison was. Where is it available? What is its effect? This narrative of Zuma as the martyr, whom enemies are constantly trying to either kill or betray, is one that we're very used to by now. And from episode two of Zooming with the Zoomers, it really shapes the entire rest of the conversations. 
It emerges that Jacob Zuma identifies the ANC's Electoral Congress at Nazarek in 2017, where Cyril Ramaphosa defeated Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma for the leadership of the ANC, as not just the moment where his own persecution was sealed, but also where the ANC itself lost its way. Nazarek was an important year for the ANC. I think it was at a point where we could have, the ANC could have picked up itself and move up in terms of its task, in terms of its everything. Um, <clears throat> but also, if that failed, it meant that Nazareth could make the ANC go down. Uh, and, and, and this is simply because much as we are all cadres of the ANC but we know one another very well yes. uh, that if this particular cadre was to be in the leadership what will happen and, and as well as the other <clears throat> as, as it happened uh, unexpected happened there because <clears throat> I think there was a very clear uh, direction that the membership was taking. But unfortunately, the issue of money came in in the manner that it had never been before. What you just heard was Jacob Zuma claiming that the Nazarek conference was the first occasion on which corruption entered the ANC because the leadership of Cyril Ramaphosa was bought by bribing delegates. Marianne says it's ridiculous to claim that Nazrek marked the beginning of party posts being exchanged for money within the ANC. When you start buying people's loyalties, uh, you, you collapse the whole movement. I mean, what's happened, you know, in some regions, and I'm not going to mention specifically, is that if you don't pay someone in the ANC to put up a poster, they're not going to do it. You corrupt the entire ideological and political mission of the party by just making it about who's your bitch and who isn't your bitch. It's awful. And it's nonsense that it was the first time ever that money changed hands in the party in order to facilitate a particular block winning. She points out that there is credible evidence, firstly, that money was used to support the Zuma camp at the previous ANC conference in Mangaung, and secondly, that the Zuma faction was up to fishy business before Nazrek involving a telecommunications interceptor, colloquially known as a grabber. The former president's sort of statement that money changed hands at the CR17 campaign, you know. And then they just don't touch on how crime intelligence, 55 million was used at Mangaung by some rogue operative KGB Chabalala. And then this grabber that was attempted to be bought just before Nazrek through crime intelligence and that was stopped because IPE had found it. You know, there's none of that factual information, which has been given, you know, it's been laid out and set out at the Zondo Commission. But Zuma's worldview is one in which he remains a perpetual victim. Here's his take on the Nkandla scandal. There was a very um, cleverly worked out <clears throat> situation wherein, much as I, I did not do anything with anything in my home state, which was the decision of the family that we should extend our, 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 our homestead. But <clears throat> deliberately, 
the courts of this country were made to give me a debt of eight million, which I did nothing about. So unfair. So unfair. Those two words could actually be the tagline of the entire Zooming with the Zoomer series. And Marianne says it's likely that's the whole point of the production. After all, it launched on YouTube in the same week when the Constitutional Court denied the final attempt to postpone Zuma's arms deal trial. Well, the end game, I think, is uh, if you look at the timing of the series on, on YouTube, it is kind of in the week that um, the Concord tosses out the challenge and we hear Zuma needs to go and stand trial finally. Stalingrad's strategy is over. Uh, in fact, they've actually found even more charges. And the former president also has changed his legal team. They must have had access to the dockets which are being sent to them, which the president is going to have to answer for in his court case. And I think this is all an attempt to shift the narrative elsewhere, blame someone else for these questions that are going to be asked, or set a terrain or a scene in which everything that happened in the past, the, na- the last nine years, were you know actually a fantastic time for South Africa, that the president implemented radical economic transformation and that there's just a bunch of other people, white monopoly capital and other strange interests, um, renewable energy interests, trying to thwart this. So it's a confusion. It's a smoke and mirrors, and it definitely is coordinated, I think, with finally the president having to have his day in court. You might recall that the last time the president was expected in court was in February this year, where he submitted a suspicious-looking medical note explaining he was too sick to appear and had allegedly been to Cuba for treatment. As an interesting side note, here's a comment made by Zuma himself during episode one of Zooming with the Zoomers. I generally, I don't get sick. Let the record also show that as of this moment during lockdown when his YouTube series was produced, Zuma appears to be in tip-top shape. Yeah, <laughs> it must be the Eric and Kundler. He looks fabulous. I'm so pleased to see the president's recovered. He's not wearing his sunglasses. Remember, he had, he had like some visual thing going on when he came back from Cuba. Do you remember? It came back like, you know, an X-man. But now he's looking in rude health. It's great. The fresh air must be doing him well. You could hear the cockerels crowing in the background. The number of YouTube views for Zooming with the Zoomers is steadily declining with each passing episode as they devolve into interminable monologues on political theory from both Jacob and Duduzane, the latter a man who has never held any elected political office. I asked Marianne how she would rate the series, not as a political analyst, but as a TV critic. Like really bad. I mean, that... that Downton Abbey tinkling piano, number one. In terms of audience irritation, the long rambling questions, the lack of editing, where at some point you sort of think, is Jacob Zuma sleeping? Oh. Is my thing buffering? Because he said nothing for a very long, 30 minutes. Um. I would rate it literally minus five as a reality show. There's not enough fireworks. There's not enough shouting. I mean, you just would like, you want to design it, like shout at his dad. You want his dad to say to him, well, fuck you. You know, like, I had to free South Africa. What are you doing coming here moaning about your life? You know, get on with it. So no, a really bad show, awful, needed editing. Dudazari comes across as insincere. Jacob Zuma is just Jacob Zuma. I agree. The series is almost unwatchable. And for that reason, it's easy to mock or dismiss it. But Marianne also makes the point that another valid response to Zooming with the Zoomers is actually one of anger at this blatant and fraudulent attempt to rewrite history and reshape the former president's legacy. 
for me, it's just part of a much wider attempt by people to hijack platforms without any accountability or needing to, to drill down. You know, the Zonda Commission would, you know, scrape away what is true, what is not true. But here people just, you know, vaguely make accusations, don't bring any evidence, say what they like. And it plays into people's emotions, plays into their biases. And then they hope people will run with this whole new narrative that the Zuma family are just, you know, have been cast into the world as hapless victims of terrible circumstance. And that's what basically what this is about, is that everyone in the family are victims. There's this plot against the Zuma family, and this is an attempt to just correct this from the horse's mouth. If Zooming with the Zoomers doesn't sound like it's for you, you're advised to skip the miniseries and wait for the unedited drama launching later this year, when former President Jacob Zuma finally faces the corruption charges he has been dodging for a decade and a half in the Peter Maritzburg High Court. From lockdown, perhaps, to lock up. Don't Shoot the Messenger is a podcast brought to you by The Daily Maverick. This episode was produced by Haji Mohammed Dauji with sound engineering, editing and support by Bernard Kotzer, Tevya Turok-Shapiro and Catherine Kotzer. You can listen to Don't Shoot the Messenger on The Daily Maverick's website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. For more, subscribe to The Daily Maverick's newsletters and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. We're going to have to navigate our way through that, but we'll talk later.